Today's reading is from John chapter 6, verses 56 to 69. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while preaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to, to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of our Lord. Well, good morning. And thank you, Janice, for reading that uh, passage from John chapter 6. And welcome to listeners from Outreach Radio this morning. A question. Have you ever found yourself saying, well, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Or, as another translation puts it, this is tough teaching, too tough to swallow. Well, I spent 20 years as a primary school teacher, and many of those years were spent looking at children's faces, which looked as though their owners were saying, this is hard to understand. Many were too polite to admit this out loud, however. But this is the response of the disciples when Jesus says that he is the bread of life. Now, we could spend a long time wondering why this was their response. What exactly did Jesus mean? Did they think he was somehow referring to cannibalism? How were they expected to eat his flesh and drink his blood? Putting this discussion to one side, I wanted to just look at some words a bit later on in our passage when we are told that many of those following Jesus left. They deserted him. Perhaps we could bring this up to date and to ask what 
for us has made us ever give up on Jesus or desert the church, turn our backs on attending church, perhaps, and stop following him. Yes, you might think that's a bit of an odd subject to be looking at, but bear with me. It seems to me that for many, the events of the last 18 months or so have thrown us off course in different ways, and certainly in terms of attending church. Well, there hasn't been a church to attend, of course, uh, unless you count uh, going online. It may not have been just over the last 18 months or so. Maybe before that, we have been thinking about or even actually giving up on church. And faith now seems very uncertain for us now. Please be clear here. Nobody is judging you for this, least of all me. I have no desire whatsoever to make anyone feel guilty or in any way awkward. There's no suggestion that anyone is accusing anyone of somehow being lazy or unfaithful or anything like that, really. Rather, I would like to point out that you are in pretty good company. I don't have the figures for the UK, but in the United States, 65 million people have dropped out of active church attendance over the last 20 years or so. And 2.7 million more will be leaving this year, apparently. So, I wonder, what is driving such a trend? There are probably an awful lot of factors uh, by way of explaining this, but I'd like to look at just one this morning. What's prompted this as my looking at uh, a book by Brian McLaren called Faith After Doubt. Brian McLaren states that doubt is not the opposite of faith, but it is, he says, an element of faith. He outlines how common it is to experience doubt, how it often accompanies Companies uh, loss or loneliness or a crisis. But he also says that it can be a doorway to something fresh, something new. Well, this got me wondering. Many of us have experienced loss during the last year or so. Yeah. Oh, which reminds me. Uh, St Tom's is hoping to hold a memorial service, probably the beginning of November, when we can remember loved ones who have died recently or not so recently, or acknowledge other losses. Hopefully we can come into the church and remember. Remember things that we used to have or were able to do, or a friendship or even a pet. Everyone will be welcome to that memorial service. Hope to see you there. So maybe our sense of loss has caused us to have doubts. Maybe a sense of isolation has done the same. This is all 
we are assured quite natural. But what I wanted to go on to say is that there is always a way back. Someone has said that doubt is the ants in the pants of faith. Doubt is the ants in the pants of faith. In other words, it gets you moving, it gets you wriggling, it gets you invest investigating what on earth is going on. Having doubts about ourselves, about others or God, is not the end, but can be the beginning of something new. I'd like to suggest that there is always, always a way back to God. He never moved. He's always been there ready and willing to welcome us, embrace us and tell us it's okay. Whatever has prevented us from coming to God or whatever caused us to drift away from him, he's there just like the father in that wonderful story of the prodigal son. The father in that story, despite his youngest son demanding to have his inheritance early and then going and squandering it all on excessive living, then comes crawling home to admit that he is now penniless. The father, what does he do? He comes running out to greet his wayward son and welcomes him literally with open arms. This is a picture of extravagant, unconditional love, just like God's love. It seems almost unfair that the son should be treated in this way. And then we realise that is just how God treats each one of us. Whatever we've done, wherever we've been, whoever we've been with, all these things become somehow irrelevant in the embrace of the loving Father. To return to our passage in John, we see some of the disciples of Jesus desert him then. There doesn't seem to be any blame here. They are not condemned or accused. It is as if the door has been left ajar for them to return at some point. And then we come to these amazing words of Peter. When Jesus asks his disciples, well, will you go away then? He replies, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now we must understand that the disciples, although they were probably Jesus's best mates, as it were, they were not great paragons of virtue or somehow flawless faith giants. They were not chosen for their virtue. They were plagued at times with doubt and fear. They suffered at times with an overabundance of pride 
and a distinct lack of courage, and even they deserted Jesus when, they, when he needed them most at the end. So, so where have we been looking for God on our journey? Yes, we can find him in many places and settings and the beauty of nature, he's there. In the warmth of family fun and laughter, he is there. In beautiful sunsets, glimmering waterfalls and starling murmurations, he is there. He's creating and sustaining the whole of creation all of the time. But he can also be found at the hospital bedside when there is betrayal or when someone has a panic attack or severe anxiety or deep depression. God is ever present there. But when we look supremely at the cross of Jesus, it's there we see the perfect example of self-giving, sacrificial love and generosity. He also shows us at the cross that we are 